Well, all right, guys, so tonight we are actually kicking off a brand new first Wednesday night study series, and we're going to be studying the book of Psalms. Who's excited to study the book of Psalms together as a church? Now, listen, one of my biggest life... Oh, there we go, Kayla. I was going to drink that, but I'll let you have it. Um, One of my goals for life is to preach verse by verse through the entire Bible. That's one of my life goals. And so what I want to start doing is making First Wednesdays an opportunity for us to continue to do book studies and to dive deep into different texts that we may not have enough time on a Sunday morning to address, but things that I believe are still critically important for us. And so for the entire year of 2022 on 1st Wednesdays, we are going to be studying the book of Psalms. And we're calling this series, The Prayers of the Psalms. Because David and the other authors of the book of Psalms, they teach us how to pray, how to be honest with God, and how to process our own emotions and feelings before God himself. So let me tell you a story as we get started, why I wanted to do the book of Psalms. Because it was about a year ago, whenever we did our, we were doing our men's meetings, uh, before the amazing James Guest took over as our men's leader. Let's give it up for the men's meeting. (laughs) Women's meeting is this Saturday, by the way. So all the ladies, you have um, a women's meeting this this Saturday as well. But I I used to do, yeah, give it up for the ladies. There we go. I used to lead the the men's meeting and I was doing a teaching over prayer and I was talking about um, the importance of just processing our emotions and being honest with God. Uh, If you're frustrated, tell God you're frustrated. If you're angry, tell God you're angry. If you are sad, tell him you're sad. If you're mad at him, which is possible for you to be upset with God, go ahead and go to God and say, hey God, I'm not okay with this and process those things out before the Lord. And I had a guy, he was sitting right about there and he raised his hand. He said, wait, you mean I can do that? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? He said, I thought when you prayed, then you had to have everything perfect and together before you go to God and pray, because if you don't, then he's not going to listen or hear your prayer. And I was like, wait, what? He was like, yeah, I thought that like I had to pretend to be something I'm not in order to receive something from God. And my heart broke in that moment because here we have a man in his 40s who grew up in church for most of his life, and he thought he had to pretend and hide who he was when he went to God in prayer. And I'm just like, how in the world is this possible for someone to grow up in the church and not feel like they can be honest with their father? But I know that there's a lot of people who probably feel that same exact way. And that's why the book of Psalms is so incredibly important. Because Psalms, we get to see all of the emotions, all of the feelings, all of the range of life and its ups and downs, highs and lows and difficulties and joys and celebrations all on display as David just lays his heart bare, as David prays before the Lord, and as David gets honest with God. How many of you want 2022 to be the year that you get honest with God and you pray and you get to see God do amazing things in your life? How many of you want to see that this year is the year where you're able to experience the breakthrough and the life that God always intended for you to experience. 
And so this whole year, we're going to be studying the book of Psalms. Now, let me tell you just a few things as a way of setup for uh, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. It's the largest book of the Bible. So if you were just to open up your Bible in the middle, Psalms would be right there. Uh, Proverbs comes after it. It's what it's known as a wisdom literature. Uh, in the Hebrew Bibles, it's actually called the book of writings. And that would include Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes as well. There is 150 Psalms, and we're not going to do all 150 on first Wednesdays. Uh, and so, but there's 150 Psalms, but there's 10 different types of Psalms. And so during the first Wednesdays, what we're going to do is every week this year, we're going to take and tackle a different type of the Psalm. And we're going to work through the range of emotions that are on display through the different genres or types of Psalms that there are. Let me just give you a few different types of Psalms. There's Psalms of thanksgiving. There's Psalms of wisdom. There's Psalms of lament. There's Psalms of praise. Lament is a song of sadness, um, something that we're not really good at dealing with in America, especially in the American church, learning how to pray through sadness. But there's a whole type of Psalm that is all about sadness and sorrow and bringing those things to the Lord. There's Psalms of praise, which is celebration and rejoicing. There's Psalms of remembrance and purgatory Psalms, which that's going to be really exciting because it's basically like, God, kill my enemies. Uh, how many of y'all ever prayed that prayer over the Christmas break at your mother-in-law's house? All right. Um, <laughs> just me? Okay, y'all can pray for me later. All right. Hymns, Psalms of prophecy, um, Psalms of royal Psalms. There's Psalms of confidence, Psalms of faith, and then there's Psalms of privilege, uh, privilege of pilgrimages. And so it covers a wide range of all these different emotions. And here's why it's so important. It's because I don't know if you know this or not, but you're a human. Did you know that? You're, you're human. You know, what, you know what humans have? They have emotions. They have, they have feelings. And sometimes in the church, you're taught that emotions are a bad thing. Right. Oh, I don't want to give into emotionalism. Okay? Well, God gave you emotions. Okay? Because emotions are important. They're how we begin to process and understand the reality of life that we live in. And if we don't process those emotions through prayer, then that's when it becomes a bad thing. If we don't process those emotions out with our father, then that's when they can become a bad thing because then they begin to rule us. They begin to lead us instead of us taking control and understanding and, 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 and working with them as well. And so the Psalms teaches us how to do all of those things. The majority of the Psalms are written by a man named David. David was the king of the nation of Israel. He is the second king in line and he is the great king over Israel, but he didn't write all of the Psalms. Okay, there's actually seven different authors uh, in, included in the Psalms that we are aware of. Uh, there is 48 Psalms that are anonymous. So, so David wrote the majority. His son Solomon actually wrote five Psalms. There's a Psalm from Moses that's included in there. Asaph, which is one of the choir leaders and directors of the nation of Israel, he writes uh, several Psalms, I believe even a book of the Psalms. So there's seven different authors through the period of the nation of Israel during this time. And the word Psalm actually just means a hymn. It means a sacred song and it's a song of praise. So God's old covenant people, even into the New Testament, and into the New Covenant Church, they would actually gather together and they would sing these psalms as songs of praise and they would gather and they would sing them together in corporate settings. In fact, Jesus, through the New Testament, he would actually pray and he would sing the psalms. And so one example is after they take communion on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they break bread and then Judas goes out and they begin to sing what is known as the great Hallel. They're singing one of the psalms about the, 
messianic coming of the King Jesus, they begin to sing and burst out and sing that song on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Another example is whenever Jesus is giving a prophecy about his second coming, he says, the Lord said to my Lord that you would be seated by my right hand. That's actually one of the Psalms. That's a, a royal Psalm Jesus uses to predict his own death, burial, and resurrection. And then a great famous example is Psalm 22. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is another word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he doing there? He is quoting from the book of Psalms from memory in an agonizing part of his life. And he is using that as a reference to the Hebrew people that are there saying, oh, this is the prophesied Messiah that we've been singing about for thousands of years. And there he is right there on the cross, quoting the book of Psalms. See, this is how important psalms are. It's not just a little line that we put in a song that we throw up on the screen so that way we can sing along. It's not just for your coffee cup, but it is for your life. Yeah. It's for every aspect of your life. It's for whenever you're sad. It's for whenever you're happy. It's for whenever you're getting married. It's for whenever you're walking through divorce. It's whenever you have a child who's born, and it's whenever you're holding or, or you're burying your child as well. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of peace. It's a place of rest. It's a place of refuge for us as we navigate through the complexities of this life that we live. And that's why we're going to be studying Psalms here, because for some of you this year, as we get ready, man, you're going to have just tremendous life events that have happened to you. Some of you are going to get married. Some of you are going to have babies. Some of you are going to get accepted to college. Some of you are going to graduate college. You're going to have these amazing events that are going to happen to you. Buy a new house, get a new car. You're going to travel. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to get a promotion. You're going to get a raise. That's what's going to happen to some of you this year. But others of you this year, you're going to lose a job. Maybe you're going to get a divorce. Maybe you're walking through one. Some of you this year, you might get in a car crash. I don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what happens. In a church of 400-something people, every single week I get phone calls and emails from people who are experiencing different, different things that are taking place. Some people on the same day, I could get a text, this is the best day of my life. And then the very next day, I get a text from someone else say, this is the worst day of my life. And so as a pastor, I have to walk through the tension of this range of emotions because I love each and every one of you and I care for y'all. And, and every time I get a text, here's what I do. You know what I do? I pray and then I think through the book of Psalms. And then I text you one of the Psalms that God brings to my remembrance. How many of you have gotten a text with, from, from me with a Psalm or a Bible verse that's attached to it? Right? Because why? Because the psalm speaks to the, the human experience that we're all in. The range of emotions is all covered in the book of Psalms. So with that being said, I have 14 minutes to preach Psalm 100. Okay? You think we could do it? You think we could do it? All right, it's only five verses, so we'll be here for the, another hour. All right. Um, in fact... On Sunday, we're starting the book of Colossians, and I, my first sermon in Colossians is only two verses, Paul, an apostle, to those in Colossae, and that's it. That's all. So come Sunday, I'm going to preach an hour over two verses. But for now, I got 13 minutes, and I got five verses. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 100, and the first psalm that we're going to look at is a psalm of thanksgiving. If you have your Bibles, we're in Psalm 100. This psalm is one of the most famous psalms that there is. It's actually affectionately called the 
old 100. It's a psalm of comfort. It's a song of praise. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a psalm of confession. And it's a psalm that teaches us how to experience the life that we always wanted. Here's what Psalm 100 says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord and all of the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. That's what we're doing on First Wednesday, right? We're coming into God's presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Woo, give thanks to the Lord. Bless him in his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. My sermon title for tonight is this. It's the life that you always wanted. I was thinking about it this week, um, and as I'm preparing for this message, I, I, I asked my daughter, Esther, I said, I said, Esther, baby, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know what she said? She wants to be a fashion designer. <laughs> That's my daughter, Esther. She wants to be a fashion designer. She wants to pick out her own clothes. She hates wearing the shoes that we give her. I mean, she'd be wearing like Chip and Dale shirt with like my little pony shoes and just pulling up her socks. And she don't even want anybody to fix her hair. She just wants to go out. She dreams of growing up to be a fashion designer. What about you? What did you dream about growing up and being? Like when you think about your life today, did you ever imagine that you would be where you are at now several years ago? I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I played baseball all through up to high school, and I just knew that I was going to be a major league baseball player. And then I couldn't handle authority, and I quit in my 10th grade year because I didn't like my coach. Okay, that's just not the way that I figured my life would turn out. I asked Ashley, what did, what did she want to be when she was growing up? Ashley, what did you say you wanted to be? She wanted to be an animator where she was going to draw cartoons, right? That's what Ashley wanted to be. And she, she grew up and she became a pastor's wife. And so uh, we never knew that we would be where we are at today. If you were to ask me even 15 years ago, Byron, could you see yourself being a pastor? I could never see myself being here where we're at today. And this may not be the life that I envisioned for myself, but this is the life that God has envisioned for me. And while we have gone through a lot of different things, ups and downs, highs and lows, whether I've been, you know, strung out on drugs, whether I've been depressed, or whether it's having, you know, seeing my daughters being born and holding them in my arms, the, the best days and the worst days, I wouldn't trade them for anything because it has helped and shaped me to become the person that I am. And it's taught me to rely and to depend on God. But I do know this is that for many of us, where we find ourselves, it's just not the life that we dreamed of. And this is what's so fascinating about living in America. It's because in America, we have more options, we have more opportunities, we have more things that are available to us than any other nation in the world and any other time in all of human history. And here's what we discovered. Even though all of these things are available to us, people today are more miserable, more depressed, more anxious, more frustrated, more exhausted than any other society in the world as well. It's fascinating when you start reading some of the studies that in America, a land of opulence and a land of wealth is actually has higher rates of mental illness and mental health depression and anxiety than third world and developing nations. And it's because so many options and so many opportunities, they create this anxiety inside of us because we have the ability to choose what life we want, but nobody really knows what that looks like. And then when you do get the things you desired, eventually those things no longer satisfy, no longer fulfill, and they no longer meet the innermost needs of your hearts. 
And so is the life that you always wanted really the life that you truly want? That's something that David's wrestling with as he, as he writes this. He, he starts off and he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, at this point, whenever he's writing the book of Psalms in 100 right here, Israel is not going very well. He may be the king, but he's actually on the run. Because all of David's kingly ministry, here's what David was wrestling against. The Philistines and other pagan nations that were attacking them, that were invading the nation of Israel, they were constantly under threat, under war, and he was always in the middle of a battle. In fact, one of the reasons that David didn't get to build the temple his son Solomon did is because David had too much blood on his hands that David was a warrior. David spent his entire time fighting in battle and in the middle of a war. And so as David's writing this, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, give thanks unto the Lord, enter his courts with thanksgiving. Listen, David is not really in the highest place of his life. He's not on the mountaintop, he's down in the valley. So when you're reading this, don't just think, man, David, he just must be on the best meds. No, David, <laughs> David, he is down in the depths of despair. But yet even in the middle, when he says, my life didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, he's still choosing to praise God even in the middle of it. Because David, he was assigned to be king even as a little boy. That, that, that Samuel came and anointed his head with oil, crowned him as the future king of the nation of Israel. He killed a bear, he killed a lion, he killed a giant. And now he's running from different Philistines and he's hiding out in caves and he's the king and yet he still can barely afford to eat himself. This is not the life that David envisioned when he was anointed as a king as a little boy. But yet what happened was this, through those processes, he still learned in the middle of a dark and difficult day to sing praises to his God. That's what I want for you because I don't know what this year holds for you, but here's what I do know. I do know that whenever we worship, whenever we praise God, whenever we enter into his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts, here's what God does. God meets us right where we're at and we're able to experience his goodness in ways we never imagined to be possible. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just give you just three things that will help you have the life that you truly always wanted. The first thing we see is this. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. It's a life of worship. Look what he says here. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's a, it's a life of worship. And I love this because I cannot sing. Okay, you might have heard me whenever the band said, just the voices here. <laughs> and I'm on the front and I'm like, make it a joyful noise to the Lord. You say, it may not sound good. I know, but you know what? God has a heavenly auto-tune in heaven. And, when, and my noise just goes straight to those divine ears and the Holy Spirit's like, wicka, wicka, wicka. And then he just auto-tunes it to where it's beautiful in heaven, okay? I make a joyful noise on earth, but I got a whole choir in heaven who's just like, you rock on, Byron, right? Just make a joyful noise. And it's, it's singing, it's worshiping. And then it says, it says, make a joyful noise, all of the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with, with singing. And I think that we need to really understand what a life of genuine worship looks like. As people, as Christians, we're people who sing. We sing praises to God. We lift our voice to God. We magnify the Lord with the declaration of our lips and the songs of our praise. We worship our great king. Why? Because, well, it gives him glory, and then it helps heal our hearts in that moment. 
Listen, here, here's what I hear for all the time. People say, well, I just don't really feel like singing. Okay, well, you know what? That's when you need to do it the most. When people say, I don't feel like worshiping. Today, I just don't feel like worshiping. Do you think David felt like worshiping in those moments that he was in? Probably not, but he still chose to worship anyway because it's when we don't feel it, that's when we need it, amen? When you, when you feel it the least is when you need it the most because the God tells us for us to worship him. Let me just read you some Bible verses just about what God wants us to do. In Psalms 47.1, he says, clap your hands, all you people. Do you remember this from whenever we did it in the book of Joshua? Do y'all wanna do it again? Do y'all wanna sing it again? Do y'all wanna do it again? Hey, let's just practice obeying the scriptures, all right? Here's what it says, clap your hands, all you people. Let's hear that clap. Shout to God with loud songs, hallelujah. Psalm 95. 95 1 says, sing aloud to God our strength and shout to God our joy. Lift up a shout to him right now. Hallelujah. We praise you, Father. And then Psalm 98, 98 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Break forth in joyous songs and sing his praises. God, we magnify you. Lord, we worship you. We lift your name on high. We praise you in the middle of our pain. We praise you in the middle of our struggle. We praise you in the moment. God, we magnify you in Psalms 101. Here's what he says. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. When you feel it the least, that's when you need it the most. Amen. I mean, that's why you're here at the prayer meeting tonight. You probably had a hundred other things that you could do, but yet you still made the choice to come to the prayer meeting. And you know what? God's going to honor that. God's going to bless that. And you're not going to leave here the same way that you were when you walked in these doors. And you might not feel it, but that's when you need it. The same thing goes for being in a small group, being in a winter session, whenever you're going out to coffee with someone from your serve team, whenever you feel it the least, that's when you need to know to do it the most. And that's when we begin to live a life of worship. David says, hey, I'm going to sing to the Lord. I may not have a lot of reasons to do it, but I'm still going to do it because, because he is good and he is worthy of praise. So it's a, it's a life of worship. The, the second thing is this. It's a life of wisdom. Know that the Lord, he is God, and that it is he who made us, and that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It, it's a life of wisdom. Now listen, he starts off by saying, know that the Lord, he is God. He starts off with knowledge. But I want to show you something is that there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Do you know what the difference is? Right? Knowledge is, is knowing something. Wisdom is knowing what to do. Let me give you an example. Okay, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in your fruit salad. Okay, that's, that's the difference, okay? Knowledge is, is knowing that your, your wife needs a new dishwasher. Wisdom is not getting her one for Christmas. Okay, that's, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, amen? Okay, knowledge is knowing what to do, and then wisdom is actually doing that very thing. W knowledge is information, wisdom is application. And here's what David's doing. This is why we're calling this series Praying Through the Psalms. It's because we wanna get God's word from our heads down into our hearts. 
okay? Because knowledge lives in your head, but wisdom is an effect of the heart. We wanna get God's word from our head down into our heart so that way then it could begin to live out in our everyday life. We don't wanna just have knowledge about God. We wanna have the wisdom of God so that way we can live a life for God. So look what he says here. I wanna teach you how to pray through the scriptures. Look what he says. He gives us different things and it's gonna teach us how we can apply God's word to our lives through prayer. The first thing he says is you need to know that the Lord is God. It's one thing for you to know the Lord is God. It's another thing for you to live your life like you know that God is the Lord. In any situation, any circumstance that you're going through, you know that he is Lord, that he is sovereign, that he is over all things and that you trust and you believe in him. And so as you're praying through the Psalms, here's what you say, know that he is God. In that situation, you say, God, I know that you are good. I know that you are real. I know that you're in control. I may not know what's happening or going on around me, but I know that you are for me because you are my Lord and you are my God. You're praying through the scriptures. The next point he says is this, is that he made you. God, you have made me, which means you know me intimately. You care for me. You are there for me. You did not abandon me. You shaped me and knitted me together in my mother's womb. God, you have given every single attention to detail over my life. You have not forgotten me. You have made me. And not just the birth when I was born, but for my new birth. And you're molding and shaping and transforming me until the day that I am made new with you in heaven forever and become the true me that you always destined me to be. God, you made me. And so when you're in these situations, you're praying through the scriptures, reminding God of the very words that he says, that you are his, just like a child belongs to a father, just like a husband belongs to a wife. I am your child and I belong to you. The the, 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 uh, Paul says in the book of Colossians that we are his possession, that we've been bought with a price, a precious price. The blood of Jesus purchased us. I belong to you. I am yours, your possession. And so when you're in pain, when you're in struggle, when you're in circumstances, you say, God, I belong to you. I'm your mess. You come and help me. You come pick this up. You come clean this up because I belong to you. You're praying through the Psalms, and then it says this, is that you belong to his community, that we're not alone, we're not, we're not abandoned, but we're in this together. He says that we are his sheep. Yeah. You know what sheep have? There's not just, there's plurals. <laughs> and that he is our good shepherd, and that we're all in this together, and he cares for you the same way he cares for them, and he cares for me the same way he cares for you. Right. And that we're the sheep that belong in his pastures. Yeah. And so you begin to pray God, there's other people in this room who are struggling and hurting as well. And so, God, I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to take care of them. You did not create me to be in isolation, but to live a life in community. And so then you begin praying the Psalms through that situation. And how does that work? It begins to apply to areas of our lives. So when you pray through that, that we are the sheep of his pasture, what what does that think? That reminds you of the local church. Well, how do you pray to be a sheep of the pasture if you're not here on a Sunday or a first Wednesday or in a small group? Right? Because then that knowledge, okay, I know God is real, but then it begins to sink down into your heart, and then you begin to apply it in your life when it comes to fear, anxiety, and frustration. When you know that God made you, then that's going to change the way that you see yourself. You're going to see yourself as one with dignity and value and worth because you're an image bearer of the living and holy God. No matter what society and culture tells you, no matter what other people say about you, you say, no, God made me. He knows me. And then you're going to be able to say that I am his, and that's going to change the way that you live. 
live. You're no longer going to be torn between culture and the church. You're no longer going to be torn between the ways of the world and the ways of God's word because now you're going to need to know and how to live your life. And then lastly, with that community, you're like, if this is what God desires, that I am a sheep in God's pasture, then there's some other sheep, there's some other people that are here for me to love and I cannot live alone in isolation. That's the knowledge that has moved down to the heart, which becomes wisdom. And knowledge is information, but, what, but wisdom is application. And here's the point for you, is that information plus application equals transformation in your life. Right? Because knowledge without application is actually foolishness. If you know it, but you don't do it, you're a fool. But if you know it and you do it, that's when one becomes wise. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is application. You put them together, and that's when you get transformation for your life, which leads to the final point as the band comes forward and we transition into, into prayer is this, is that the third thing is a life of wonder. It's a life of worship. It's a life of wisdom. And then lastly, it's a, it's a life of wonder. He closes by saying, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness is to all generations. That word right there, steadfast love. In the Hebrew, it's the word hased, which is the word covenant. It's the, it's the everlasting love of God. I love what I read to my daughter, Esther. And if you come to redemption enough, you've heard it before, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It defines the word, the never giving up, the always and forever kind of love. That's the love that God has for us. And just think about it for a moment. When you imagine that this great, grand, glorious, beautiful, majestic, and wonderful God loves you with a hased, with a never giving up, always and forever kind of love, that should make you mind blown about how wonderful God is. Just think about it. God's saying, enter into my courts that we can go before the throne room of God. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Like you can't just go to the president. You can't just go to a king. You can't, sometimes you can't even go to a restaurant and ask to speak with the manager. But yet the creator of the universe invites you into his presence. How amazing is that? That his steadfast love endures forever. That means when he says he loves you, he loves you. When he says he is there for you, he's there for you. When he says he cares for you, he cares for you. This is the love that the father has towards us. And that for me just blows my mind. And so I never want to live a life that takes for granted the wonder that is our God. I want to live my life filled with the wonder of God. Say, God, I can't believe you did that. God, I can't believe, God, that you loved me. I can't believe that you've given your life for me. I, I can't believe that you've given me the things in the church and the people and the marriage and the kids. God, I can't believe. I never want to take your goodness for granted. And so here's my last thought I want to leave with you is when life is crazy, when life is hard, no matter what happens in 2022, whether it's the best days or the worst days, may we never graduate from the goodness of God in our lives. May we never get beyond the goodness of God in our lives. When things are great, you can praise them. When things are wrong, you can praise them. But may we never graduate or move beyond the sense of wonder that we have when we pause and we thank God for how good and great he truly is. Never lose the wonder of who God is. And when you live a life of worship, 
When you live a life of wisdom and when you live a life of wonder, that's when you begin to live the life that you've always wanted. So this year, 2022, could be the, the year that you live the life you wanted if we choose to live a life of worship. Guys, I, I can't encourage you enough. Be at every first Wednesday prayer night. Come ch- Sunday morning. Be here five minutes early. <laughs> be here. Dedicate this year, one year, 2022. Say, this is the year of, of me dedicating my life to worship. That if I, if I, if I have, I'm going to be here. When the doors are open, I'm going to be here. I'm going to give God one year, and I'm going to worship him with all that I have, with all that it's in me. I am going to worship the Lord. And then live a life of wisdom. How do we live a life of wisdom? Applying God's word. That's small groups. And so if you're not in a small group or a winter session, this is your year to get in one. Live that life of wisdom. And lastly, live a life of wonder. Walk around and give glory to God in every situation, every circumstance that you find yourself in. And you will live the life that you always wanted.